watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have three movies for you. Black Panther, Early Man, and Double Lover. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge it being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that miss. Also on this week's episode, we're going to be joined by a friend of the show, special guest, Joshua Grinnell, who is going to come here and uh, square off against us for uh, over I, Tonya. Yes, uh, it is a review that we have not yet released but mm, we did very complicated but, review. But we did include it on our official list of most disappointing movies of the year, uh, and many of you have have spoken out in anger about that. And so Joshua is here to speak on all of your behalves and hold, take us to task for the nerve that we had to speak ill of this film. Jason, what is going on in the world of you? Well, thank you for asking. You're welcome. Uh, well, currently, I'm gearing up to uh, to tape a podcast this coming weekend that is called Nerd Rage, The Great Debates. That sounds hard to listen to. <laughs> um, well, uh, so the whole premise of it is, uh, is, I guess, generally, they have two teams that square off on different pop culture things that you know each team is obsessed with, and then they go through a, a series of um, of moderated debate prompts, mm. uh, and they get to go back and forth. It's timed. You get to rebut. You get to rebut, um, and then like the studio audience decides who the winning arguer is. Um, this sounds amazing. And uh, and so what they're doing now, because as we tape this, it is mid February. Uh, what they're doing is a, uh, a, a March Madness bracket-style uh, debate-a-thon. That's fantastic. Where, uh, so they're doing a whole big marathon taping this next weekend, and then I guess the, they'll, they're, if you keep winning, in theory, you'll do a, a series of debates. And then if you are a finalist, then you'll go through and do this like final taping in um, in March. Is it live? Uh, no, no. It's um, As far as I know, it's just taped for a podcast. Okay. Uh, but... So I was approached to do this, and then I had to ask myself, "Well, what do I, what do I want to debate? What do I want to, what do I want to talk oh, about?" Oh, you get to pick. Yeah, you get to pick, okay. and then you were basically set against someone else by like the programmers. And this was this was Wonder Dave, the same guy who did literary pop, where I did where I gave my Julianne Moore mm-hmm, monologue that mm-hmm. you were uh, present for, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, so. So he came to me and asked if I wanted to do this, and I was thinking, like, okay, I always try to say yes to these kinds of things, because they always, I mean, they really scare me, and I get very nervous, but I feel like it's, like, the good kind of nervous where I should say yes and push myself and have this experience. So, uh, and so, and you, you can pick any kind of pop culture thing. Past episodes have included things as specific as BoJack Horseman versus Rick and Morty as mm. two sort of, like, adult animated comedies. Mm-hmm. Uh, to broader things like 90s horror film versus 2000s horror film. Uh, and uh, and so I was like, okay, well, geez, like, how do I narrow down my focus? What's the thing I'm really, really obsessed with? And uh, so I wound up settling on a little show called Strangers with Candy. Yes. So, and uh, so I'm like, okay. I And I offered, I'm like, I could just do, if, you, if it'd be easier to do just a character, I could just talk about Jerry Blank the whole time. Or if you want to do it more big picture, I can do the whole show. 
And Dave was like, yeah, we'll just do the whole show. And that way you'll have a lot more to pull from for your debates. Because like, the thing is, like, you're picking a show and then the person you're debating is picking another show? or Well, this this is where it's a bit it's somewhat flawed. Um, so everyone just picks their thing in a vacuum. And then it's up to basically to Dave to pair everyone off against each other in ways that make some kind of sense. So you're defending the thing that you pick as being like the best thing and you have to defend it? Well, you also currently we're we're one week exactly out from this taping. And I do not know any of the prompts yet, nor do I know any of the other subjects except for the one that I'm going up against for my first round. And boy, oh boy, was this unexpected. Uh, I am going to be taking Stranger of the Candy um, up to battle against John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. The little scene 2001 sci-fi horror film starring one Mr. Ice Cube <laughs> and one Ms. Natasha Henstridge. Wow, this uh, is going to be interesting. So I watched it yesterday. <laughs> and boy, I don't know what we're going to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you're incredibly good at finding a through line on things. I, I feel... But this is a challenge. I'm hoping this is going to... Yes. Uh, I'm hoping that this will um, play to my natural strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, one thing I already found out about Ghosts of Mars is that Natasha Henstridge's role was cast originally to be played by Courtney Love. Oh. And she only had to drop out because, like, a car ran over her foot while she was, like, rehearsing for the film. <laughs> Oddly enough, it was a car she was driving. Yes. <laughs> she, she was Flintstoning it. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she was in sort of a crack rage and just shot her feet right through the floor of the car. And then she was just like, was I running? I guess I'm running. So, uh, but yeah, so I don't that know. That sounds really, that's I, a, no yeah, I feel like, so I was in debate. Uh, I was in the Forensics League, the National Forensics League. I was in the debate team in high school. and like, bragging. We know that, your bona fides. Um, uh, just saying, I'm insulted I wasn't asked. Mm-hmm. Um, the other way it works is that like you have, everyone has the same subject and then you research mm-hmm. the subject and then you have to give both points of view you debate right. for and against it right. um so this is, is very confusing right which is why this uh, is set up because if you might recall there is an episode of strangers of the candy in Where's which jerry the, joins the debate, debate team, team. Yes. and is told to take the con position to the statement incest is wrong yes. <laughs> which is, uh, and she's and already been in, in suffering from self-inflicted bulimia uh <laughs> after she is led to believe that the thinner you are the better your arguments are which is um oddly enough the advice i've been recently taken at work <laughs> so far it's been working and also man am i hungry and also the advice you'll be giving me later off the air (laughs) about how to win this debate let me just say and hilariously enough jerry's opponent in that debate is played by ellen pompeo uh years before she became the famously thin star of gray's anatomy (laughs) the famously rich star of gray's Mm, anatomy that too i didn't realize that was her that's ellen pompeo yeah amazing who's uh who who squares off against jerry in the incest debate Oh my god, I need to watch this episode again. I believe Jerry's rebuttal is, okay, granted, sometimes things get a little out of hand. <laughs> it's funny, there's another, somebody I know is going through a thing at work where they're like, everyone's saying like, no, everything's fine, but they're like repurposing all the things and it reminds me of the last episode of Strangers with Candy oh, when they're right. like building the see. hot doggery inside right. the school and they're like, a school in the, in the hot bunnery. Down. Yeah. <laughs> right nothing to see nothing. nothing's on fire why would you think we're getting rid of the school <laughs> <laughs> oh if only uh, winona rider was there too right i thought you were actually going to pick something with winona rider my when your guess my guess was going to be something about like winona rider in reality bites or in um the one with angeline 
and girl interrupted girl interrupted or mm-hmm. like her and strange i don't know i thought we were gonna go with mm. a with the Winona, but I, that also is relevant because she was in strangers with candy yeah absolutely she was in that fran. finale yeah the, the refrigerator degrees fran, fran and height <laughs> oh god damn it uh so yeah i uh so over the next week i'm also figuring out the tricky thing of like how do you articulate why strangers with candy is good Without I'm, sounding terrible. Because I'm so used to just being around people who know. Mm-hmm. And in theory, I might need to explain that to people. And so I need to find like some a number of angles, like the more sort of like aspirational take of like, you know, who among us doesn't know what it's like to feel like you are starting um, at a later point than everyone else around you, that you're at, <laughs> that you're at a disadvantage. One way of looking at it. Uh, you know, but we're always just have to look around like, okay, well, I just am where I am and I have to jump in and do the best I can. And that's what Jerry Blank does when she goes back to high school after spending 32 years as a high school runaway. I stole the TV. Uh, I stole the TV. <laughs> Did some more time. It's going to be hard to, for people who haven't, I don't know, can, if you haven't watched Stranger with Candy then and you watch yeah. it in this new world, I feel like it's going to be really hard. I, I do worry that, um, you know, because what will I be able to say if somebody, one of my opponents is like, this show is racist. Like, yes, um, it is. He'll be like, well. And they're like, this show was created by white cis heterosexuals who, you know, play a lot of havoc with queer culture and racist jokes. It's like, well. Well. <laughs> Granted, sometimes things get a little out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it'll you be like just a like, soundboard like amy sedaris's brother is gay so <laughs> end of conversation <laughs> um and paul Danello seems awfully faggy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i recently like used a strangers with candy line um that i you got you got too deep where i wasn't able to attribute it back to the show and i took credit for it and then i was like well okay so now i have two options either i'm like oh you should watch the show because it's really amazing but mm-hmm. will you like it now right or two we have to avoid the show at all costs because you'll think that uh, I steal everything that I say from it. And I'm setting myself up for failure because I found out that my my opponent in the first round of my debate is a woman of color. And so so not, uh. on, not only is the dynamic already set for me to look like giant white man shouting down women of color, which is already which our is dynamic, do, right? uh-huh. which is already what we do. Uh, but then also if she were to watch the show mm. and not have seen it before and be like, this show has a lot of racial slurs in it that are said by white people and it's played for laughs. Uh, yeah. I just have to be prepared to, I guess, point to like, well, what is the joke? Yeah, you need to do the uh, yeah. normal Lear angle. You yeah, need to like, do the all in the, the family the, angle. The joke is not the expense of the minority. It's not the expense of the disenfranchised. It's at the expense of of Jerry's ignorance. And also, Jerry is a she is a Native American sex worker. <laughs> uh, so I have to, so I'm gonna be ready with that. I'm like, she's a woman of age. She's a queer woman. She's a sex worker. She's a Native American. That's In true. that way, she is untouchable. So I have what to be, are you all looking at? <laughs> what are you looking at? You know what? She's got something to say. <laughs> anyway, uh, Rebecca, what's up with you? Oh man, nothing now. Um, I've just been starving myself in order to make better, better arguments at work. <laughs> And also here on the show. And here on the show. Um, <laughs> you need know. to fit into my debate uniform, which you always buy two sizes too small for just this reason. It's like wrestling. <laughs> you like drink a bunch of water and wear a hot mm. suit two days before the debate. Absolutely. Sweat it out. Sweat Strong it out. Strong arguments come from slim hips. <laughs> it is, um, you know, it's a was a big holiday this week, um, this weekend, which is uh, all, NBA All-Star Weekend. <laughs> Um, and she says it's we're, we're right between Valentine's Day and President's Day. Yeah, and the, big, not, and the big February holiday, NBA All-Star Weekend. Not where I thought he was going. Where I treated myself to a delicious pizza, a bottle of red wine, and cried through the slam dunk contest. <laughs> 
they, the NBA has it so right. They do such a good job. There was this whole thing like before the slam dunk between the three point contest and the slam dunk contest where they brought out like um, some of the the best basketball players of all time, and they did this. And Common was there, and they were doing this like spoken word um like rap song r&b song thing and then they had them come out and then they had different rappers like say lines or different uh, basketball players say lines and they were talking about how these guys had had marched in selma and it was just it's the anti-nfl right it's just mm. it's i'm like i was crying through that wow. um super powerful images um so and then you weren't just crying at just basketball it was not well, just event, well no it's the nba does a really good job of, bu- of building these stories that you mm. that you love and then we get to the three-point contest and this is the point where I decided I wasn't going to go see um, Black Panther because I couldn't leave the house. And and then this guy's getting ready to do his dunk and he like goes over to the sidelines and there's Chadwick Boseman and uh, oh. Michael B. Jordan and they give him a mask. And so he puts on the Black Panther oh, mask geez. and he like does the dunk with the Black Panther mask. So that was rad. Now, did that make you feel guilty that you decided to not support Black Panther's opening weekend? It's almost still... like they showed up right there where you were playing hooky from their movie. No, no And we're like, didn't. we see you. They're still tonight and tomorrow. So I might go see it um, tonight or tomorrow. Numbers are already in. But luckily, really? luckily, luckily for you, history has been made. And, yeah, no, uh, definitely. Wait, so. well, the weekend is still today. The numbers always come in by like Sunday. By Sunday morning, there's like projections basically for like, you know, because I think most of the sales are done Friday and Saturday night. So they start doing projections on mm. what the gross is going to be for the weekend. I see. Uh, well, I feel confident in our podcast that we are doing our part to... Uh, you know, help the the Black Panther. Yes. I was not. I did not when, feel guilty. Don't when, make me feel guilty. Whenever this comes out. <laughs> so guys, it'll be on. It'll be on iTunes. Uh, that's the, that's so the help, thing. Help its opening weekend on, on home. Sometimes video. you need that boost, that second week boost, to, when they get those numbers. <laughs> and that's where the binge comes in. Exactly, where the second week boost. Um, and then after that, they had this uh, this dunk where it was the the guy who won the first slam dunk contest. His name was Larry Nance. He played on the Cavs. He played on the Cavs when I was a kid. And he has a son who's very handsome. His name is Larry Nance Jr., mm. who recently got put him back. He was recently um, picked up by the Cavs as well. And so he did a dunk with his dad. First of all, his first dunk with his dad's old uniform. And then the, oh. the last, last one was with his dad. Cried about that. It was a very emotional. I had already wow. drank my bottle of wine, which might be also part of the thing. <laughs> and That's uh, what's up with me. And was your cat watching you throughout this? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I see. Silently judging. Yes, which will come up in a film we discuss later uh, yes, this episode. Definitely. But as we already spoke about, the first movie we're going to take a look at this week is a Black Panther, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of, of the week. After the death of his father, T'Challa returns home to the African nation of Wakanda to take his rightful place as king. When a powerful enemy suddenly reappears, T'Challa's medal as king and as Black Panther gets tested when he's drawn into a conflict that puts the fate of Wakanda and the entire world at risk. Faced with treachery and danger, the young king must rally his allies and release the full power of Black Panther to defeat his foes and secure the safety of his people. I waited my entire life for this. The world's gonna start over. I'm gonna burn it all! What happens now determines what happens to the rest of the world. Jason, this is a movie we have been waiting for for so long, and by we, I mean the world, and by we, I mean not just necessarily you and I at all, really. Um... You're not Black ta- Panther. You're not taking this too big at all. I like the specific, narrow approach we're taking already. 
I, like you, was very saddened that you were not able to see this uh, for this review. And guys, it was all set and ready to go, but sometimes things get a little out of hand. <laughs> sometimes things come up. And unfortunately, Rebecca was not able to go to the screening. Scott uh, came in her stead. And uh, and the funny thing is, after when I was leaving the screening, we had to write little notes on you know sl- uh, slips of paper to give to the publicist with like our feedback on the film, parting thoughts. And I wrote, "Believe the hype," uh, and mm. then because I, I was like, "There, that should do." You should have put Rebecca would have loved this. And then and then I'm like leaving with Scott, and we're going down the escalator to the theater, and I'm like, "So what'd you think?" And he was like, "You know, it might have been overhyped." <laughs> he did not know I had written that. Uh, wow. So that was well. That's why he's not on here today. <laughs> yes, he we we rescinded his invitation. <laughs> he has been unwilling to uh, align his views on this particular one. Is he familiar with the Black Panther uh, series um, that's he, come out recently? No, I don't think he's read the recent one. Interesting. But, but For being this... such a comic book fan, it seems like it would be really um, up his alley to check out these brand new comic books <laughs> that were by written the by Tanahasi Tanahasi Coates and, and Roxanne Gay. Yeah, I have all of them. Um, yeah, no, I think he will. And of course, this film is not based on those. But uh, but so he has more of your your traditional canonical understanding of uh, of, of these. <laughs> Read white. <laughs> um, he's like, listen, if Stanley's not writing it himself, I'm not interested. Mm, get your women out of my Ghostbusters. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, uh, so he was familiar with, uh, sort of the more, the, the, the version of the story that's told here, Mm -hmm. uh, in this film. And is it your, so you have been dragged along to all the comic book movies. Uh, Let's first start kind of placing it in this world. Hmm. Where does this overlap in the universes? Uh, so we first met Black Panther in the current MCU in, um, in Captain America Civil War. Mm. which was the most recent and best of the Captain America films. And uh, there's a scene at the UN where uh, where Black Panther, uh, his name is uh, T'Challa, where T'Challa's father, who was the current reigning king of Wakanda, uh, where he is killed in a bombing attack. And uh, and so that is, uh, and that's, and that which, which leads to T'Challa rising up and becoming the king, replacing his father, uh, and then also inheriting the Black Panther superpower. So this is this is the same world as Wonder Woman. Nope. Damn it. That is DC. Okay, so this is the same world as the X Men. Uh, kind of. It's closer to so it's Avengers. Ev- Thor. Ev- and, uh, it's closer to yes, yes. It, it's Thor. Uh, so it's Avengers. It's Thor. It is. Um, it is uh, Guardi- Gar- Guardians of the Galaxy. Nope. Batman's DC. Su- uh, so Superman. Garden, nope, that's DC. Yeah. So, uh, but this is all leading to, and and so that's sort of the only time that we saw him previously was in um, Captain America uh, Civil War, which basically, you know, set up that he uh, was, you know, that he was avenging his storyline in that film was more or less limited to wanting to avenge his father's uh, assassination. And, uh, and, but in this film, this film is unique, uh, in the sense that it does not have any crossovers in it. Mm. Uh, this film is entirely about, uh, world building. It's entirely about establishing, uh, what Wakanda is and establishing, uh, the power dynamics of Wakanda and establishing sort of the entire 
palace intrigue sitch going on in Wakanda. So, uh, so it's very much its own story, its own film, and it is not here to play games about like, oh, look out, it's like, there, here comes Black Widow for a scene. It's not that kind of movie. So it's very much exclusively about uh, the story of Black Panther. Okay. And um, is the story of Black Panther enough? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is enough. It's a really rich story. Uh, and it's, it's you know, the, the conflict here, so it's not quite, um, some have described it as an origin story. And, uh, and I guess it kind of is in the sense that it's an origin of, you know, we see him ascend. We see T'Challa ascend to the throne and also to the superpower uh, of, of Black Panther. Uh, but, you know, in terms of what the actual conflict is um, in for, for the plot of the story, it has to do with, uh, well, so, okay. so Wakanda is, uh, is an interesting, you know, fictional place where uh, it, it's, it's very much about it being this, it's a hidden nation in Africa that is fully off the grid. Uh, like people don't know it's there. And Wakanda has been able to preserve itself for so long by being off the grid and by not really having any sort of uh, interaction with the outside world. Like they don't let in refugees. Mm. Uh, and they uh, they have a, a a massive supply of this very, of the world's, what's described as the world's strongest, power, uh, most powerful metal, which is called vibranium. Mm. And, um, and it's sort of, it's what gives... Uh, you know, them a lot of the special kind of a quality of life that they have. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so what's interesting is that in some ways, Wakanda is, is kind of this pillar of privilege in the story uh, because Wakanda has sort of separated itself, kept itself separate as a form of self-preservation and uh, and has, you know, been able to have this sort of because, of course, when we think about Africa, we think about the many ways that it has been pillaged and plundered mm -hmm. by colonialism and uh, and, of course, the slave trade. And uh, and Wakanda is set up as basically this sort of glorious pillar, the city on a hill, not to quote Bush, uh, but uh, or was that Reagan? Um that you know that like this is this is the glory of Africa if Africa had gone untouched. Like this is like imagine the greatness that could have been if Africa had been allowed to grow and flourish uh, unimpeded by uh, you know by the horrors that have you know been visited upon it so many times. And so so that's you know so that's an amazing idea, but then what the idea extends to as well is that is it on some level irresponsible? For Wakanda to kind of hoard all of its resources mm -hmm. and uh, and to not extend itself to the greater community of people of African descent around the world, and that's kind of where the conflict comes in because the the villain, so to speak, is played by Michael B. Jordan, uh, reuniting with with director Ryan Coogler mm -hmm. for the third third, third consecutive film, and uh, so he, without giving too much away, uh, he has a connection to the royal family of Wakanda. But he has grown up in Oakland. So true to Ryan Coogler's East mm -hmm. Bay roots, the movie begins and ends in Oakland. And, you know, even though I'm not originally from the Bay Area and I live in San Francisco, it was very emotional to see that Ryan Coogler was able to bring that personal local passion to be like he literally at the end of the film brings it all home to oakland wow it's so powerful it's so incredible 
Um, and I'm glad I'm going to go see this in Oakland. Yes. Tomorrow morning. Yes. That will be a powerful thing. But so uh, Jordan's character has grown up in Oakland and, uh, and essentially he has been uh, radicalized by his experience as a black man in America. And so he uh, is sort of on a mission to bust up the kind of hoarding of wealth and resources in Wakanda and to be like, what we need to do, he's like, you all have no idea what happens to, and they, they kind of don't really say black people. They're like, you know, our people, our community. Uh, he's like, you don't know what happens to our people out there in the world. You don't know what I've had to witness, what I've seen happen in, you know, in America. And uh, he's like, so I'm here to basically to, to break up this, this power structure, to like take down, to burn this whole system down that you've all built up of this privilege of being able to just uh, sort of hide behind your secret portal and to just live in this kingdom while the rest of us suffer. Interesting. Um, and so... It's a very complicated premise. It really is. Um, and it really is. It's a battle of ideals. The whole movie is a battle of ideals. And, um, you know, and many have pointed out that it sort of does play out like an MLK versus Malcolm X uh, type of, of, you know, uh, of uh, sort of that more uh, peaceful, uh, uh, you know, peaceful diplomacy versus, you know, radical, uh, you know, fighting. And so that does play out a bit in this dynamic. It's also interesting. Somebody, I think some, I saw some, some conservative was like, you know, in this movie, uh, T'Challa represents Donald Trump and Jordan represents Black Lives Matter. And they meant that in a very pejorative way. Um, but what's interesting is that T'Challa actually does his sort of like the, the way that things have been done in Wakanda is very MAGA. Mm-hmm, it's very mm-hmm. like, it's very Wakanda first mm-hmm. and Wakanda only. Uh, and we're not interested in the struggles of the rest of the world. You know, if you take a, the M in MAGA and you oh. turn it upside down, you turn it on its head. Well, it's but then Wagga. <laughs> that'd be Wakanda America great again. Never mind. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'm an idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. It was a good try. It was a good try. I like where your head's at. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so it is very Wakanda first. And, uh, and of course, you know, and with, with good reason, uh, you sure. know, why, why this, this, this community would have uh, sort of yeah, set itself apart and uh, not let anyone else in. Uh, but so, uh, so it really does just come down to this battle of ideals around like what is the responsibility, if any, of Wakanda to reach out outside of itself. And, uh, and then, you know, they do have Jordan's character is, is sort of... So, you know, I'm not going to talk about the ending, of course, but I will say that I was a bit let down that his character did ultimately sort of get painted into a more traditional villain arc because I think it would have been a lot more powerful because what he's saying, the thing about is really rare in a movie like this where you're like, well, the villain's not wrong. Right. Uh, You know, he he is very right and he's very valid and he might, you know. If you could easily argue that he's taking it too far. We saw a little bit of that in that the most recent Spider-Man, right? Where mm, um, oh yeah, where Michael, Michael Keaton Keaton's is, character, yeah, robbing from the rich, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So this is another sort of MCU villain where it is nuanced and complex. Oh, and, Spider-Man's also MCU. and about yes, yes, yes. good yeah. job, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. <laughs> 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 yeah, Spider-Man as well as this. Uh, and so, you know, so, but it's, it's very, he's very right. He is, he's very, very right. 
And, um, and, you know, but then because, you know, I guess the movie still needs to follow some sort of traditional villain formula, he, uh, you know, takes it too far. And, you know, as characters describe him, you know, his heart is full of hate. He's gone too far into the dark side, basically, of of wanting to, of just wanting full, you know, just like a violent uprising. You know, he wants to use a vibranium and just give it freely to uh, to the community all around the world so they can violently rise up and destroy mm. their, their captors, their tormentors. And um, so, uh, it, which is all incredibly provocative stuff for, yeah. for an MCU yes. movie. Um, you know, it's like uh, echoes of, you know, Birth of a Nation, you know, like it's, you know, like we're talking about an uprising. And, wow, and bold connection to make. Yes. Well, and that's what he that's what we're talking about in the film is, yeah. uh, you know, is he wants there to be like a violent armed uprising uh, of, uh, of of the, you know, people of African descent around the world who have been exploited and broken uh, and uh, destroyed. So uh, so but it, 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 the actual plot that he has doesn't get like super super far um which really does make the movie kind of this battle of ideals and uh, and what i really would have hoped for at the end would have been something more along the lines of jordan's character being able to by witnessing wakanda and seeing this aspirational example of what could be um that it would be more of like a he's going to join them now and like he's going to bring his point of view which is very right. needed and then they can all, it really could have just subverted the whole kind of good guy versus bad guy thing. And been like, well, let's just bring this bad guy into our, you know, our, 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 our kingdom. And let's, let's reign with all of our points of view. Well, that's not how things work in the world. No. This one or that one. No, unfortunately not. Uh, so that's where the idealism of the movie ends a bit abruptly. But, uh, but yeah, so that is, uh, that's, that's the sort of the central conflict in the story in Black Panther. Um, all-star cast, yes. um, all-star director, any, any, anything to say, but amazing things. I mean, every it's, I, I, I have the thing I think that I love the most about it, uh, is really just how incredible the, uh, the focus is on the female characters mm. and, uh, just how outnumbered the men in the film are by the women. Uh, you know, so we have Angela Bassett playing T'Challa's mother, while well, Letitia Wright plays his younger sister. She's sensational. Um, uh, Lupita Nyong'o plays a sort of um, on again, off again. I don't want to say love interest because that's not what she is in the film. But that you know they have a romantic history. She and T'Challa, uh, but she is also a badass warrior in her own right. Um, there are you know there's this group of amazing bald female mm. uh, guards. Uh, the the main character of which is played by Denai Gurira from The Walking Dead. She is amazing in this movie. Oh my god, did I fall in love with her? So, uh, you know, so, so the female characters are all superb. Uh, we One thing that's also remarkable about this film is that it doesn't really have, like, a white devil quota. I feel like, you know, there's there's it doesn't have that, like, where's the white evil? Um, and the movie is just not even really concerned. It's like, it's like I don't care about white people. Mm-hmm. It's like, great, let's not make this about that. And uh, so we have basically just two white characters of note. One is played by Andy Serkis. Uh, who is a rare actual in-person, in-the-flesh performance by Andy Serkis, who is just feral in this film, wild, unhinged, um, and who is sort of being positioned as a villain of sorts, but really it's just a means to an end for Jordan's character. And um, there is a remarkable scene where uh, when they sort of first strike together, they're at a British museum and they're looking at a collection of African art that's on display there uh, and sort of African artifacts. 
and uh, and then Jordan calls over this white British lady to explain to sort of like you know give him some some guided tours of the African artifacts, and you know so here he is in this couldn't be whiter space of this like British art museum, and then he kind of starts to turn the table on her and is like, and how exactly were these artifacts acquired, mm-hmm. and uh, which is the kind of thing that you just don't see in films. Um, and then the fact that he winds up being a villain maybe undercuts it a little bit, but that's when you first meet Circus. Martin Freeman is also mm. in the film, and he is the good white character. But part of what makes him a good white character in this context is that uh, he is fully supportive with actions, not with words, uh, that he shuts up in black spaces, uh, and that he uh, you will basically will take a bullet uh, for someone. So, uh, and he is, uh, it, it's, it's, and he's not, doesn't, ultimately is not a great consequence, uh, in the film. So, uh, so it really is just this, this incredible, glorious cast of, uh, of black actors and, uh, everyone is, 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 is terrific. And, you know, it really, I feel like more, mm, a lot of times we kind of get carried away with short-term memory and we start saying things are historic when actually they aren't. I think we talk about this with Girls Trip a little bit. Where, you know, the filmmakers, when that came out, were like, oh, it feels so good. Like, at last, finally, like, a, a black-driven film that can just be funny. And it's like, well, Girlship is amazing, but let's not pretend we haven't had decades of black-driven comedies. Right. Um, but, you know, Black Panther is historic. Uh, you know, it's the first time we've had, uh, you know, a predominantly black cast in a superhero film. It's the first time we've had, um, you know, a black superhero from, uh, you know, from the established universes. Uh, get their own film, um, and now it's 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 made history with its box office, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and and you know, Ryan Coogler is he, I mean, he's done it now three times, you know, Fruitvale Station, Creed, and now this, oh, man, uh, Creed, yeah, yeah, I mean, gets you every time, and it really does. I feel like that was one of our first like picks of the mm-hmm, that we were everything. really that we were real into, and uh, and this this might possibly succeed. Uh, where Wonder Woman failed in terms of uh, working out translating into awards uh, come mm. next year at this time. Uh, you know, it's it's a real knockout. That, that's your soundbite. It's a real <laughs> knockout. Um, you're giving it a binge it, I assume. It is our pick of the week. Yes. It's rated PG-13 for prolonged sequences of action violence and a brief rude gesture. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and that brings us to our second movie of the week, which is Early Man. A plucky caveman named Doug, his sidekick Hognob, and the rest of their tribe face a grave threat to their simple existence. Lord Newth plans to take over their land and transform it into a giant mine, forcing Doug and his clan to dig for precious metals. Not ready to go down without a fight, Doug and Hognob must unite their people in an epic quest to defeat a mighty enemy, the Bronze Age. Since the dawn of time... Life on Earth has been constantly evolving. But with every step forward, there are always a few still trying to catch up. A rabbit! hunt rabbits. Couldn't we try hunting something bigger? Look at the sort of tribe we are. We're a rabbit hunting tribe and it served us very well up till now.
The rabbits are fighting back! I don't think this is rabbits. The edge of stone is over. Long live the edge of bronze. What's bronze? Brought to you by the folks that brought you Wallace and Gromit. We have early men. Chicken Run. Yeah. Curse of the Were Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Nick uh, Nick Park, director, Artman Animation Studio. Not. I would say I'm gonna just go in. Not a what? Oh no! I was like, wait, Nick Park. Is that right? Yeah. I was, yeah. I was confusing him with that the muckraking documentarian who made Kurt and Courtney. I'm like, no, not that guy. Um. I haven't been a big fan of these movies. I'm just going to put that out there. Mm. Um, maybe it's the British humor. Um, maybe it's the British humor. Not really. Not a huge fan. Um, but I went into this one with some exciting expectations. Mm. Um, because when we started watching the movie, the person, we watched the, the press screeners and they come around and they, they're like, you don't, you know, shouldn't record this. We're going to confiscate your phones. And they put the fear of God in you. About recording and the uh, officer, officer, I don't even know. I call her the hammer. The hammer. She, um, she's a security guard who shows up at certain screenings and is just disproportionately intense and violent uh, <laughs> in her warnings to all of us about how the many ways that our lives will be in ruins if we think about taking us a frame of the film with us when we leave. And this was a family film being screened on a Saturday morning for an audience largely made up of people who brought their children. Right. And that did not stop the hammer from bringing itself down with full force. Um, and then the hammer sp- sent, gave us a spoiler, um, uh, which we at first we didn't think was a spoiler. You know, it's called uh, Early Man. And she was like, uh, spoiler, it's about Manchester United. And we're like, ha, 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 ha. The movie's about Manchester United. The movie's about soccer. <laughs> Did not know this. Like, and, and so recognize that they're watching this film. And then the first time that like a soccer ball shows up, we're like, wait, was she serious? She wasn't serious. And then as the film progresses, we're like, that bitch was serious. She actually, because I don't she, think this was any no, of the trailers, is it? No, I don't think so. I mean, it was like a joke that she's basically ruined for the movie. The whole thing. Uh, because there's not, and now we're ruining it for you. We are. Um, we're paying it forward. Um, that's just how we are. And Bending it like Beckham. <laughs> and like, yeah, because there's not until the very end of the movie does somebody say anything about like, oh, you know, it's like Manchester United uh, or something like that. And you're like, oh, mm. although, you know, at the beginning of the film, they do give you a hilariously specific setting for where you're watching because all you see is like this kind of like roiling, like sort of like Big Bang, you know, stew of like of you know volcanoes and magma and dinosaurs and then you know like the tiles come up and they're like manchester yeah (laughs) uh you know around lunchtime (laughs) but uh but yeah no you would not have known that but they ruined it for us so we're ruining it for you guys and uh and frankly i don't know if it would have added a whole lot to the film uh it just would have been one of those kind of like oh huh moments um, um that were taking executive decision or maybe if I would have known that soccer was going to be such a big part of this movie, I would have had completely different expectations. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that, too. When I realized that it was actually just a sports film, just a really straightforward, very by-the-numbers, very, very familiar underdog. underdog sports film, I would have definitely gone expecting something less than what I did. Because I think Nick Park is brilliant. And I think that, uh, you know, his past films have been so clever and so out of the box. But this one, 
Not so much. Mm-mm. This one is is it, it proceeds almost exactly as you would expect it to at every point in the story. And it has this kind of, you know, semi-interesting premise where we have this 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 tribe of uh, of cave people who are still from the Stone Age. And they have somehow been allowed to continue flourishing in this valley, in this sort of canyon that was created by uh, by a, bl- a meteor blast, by an asteroid blast. And uh, and so... I like how you just use meteor and asteroid interchangeably. Sure. Same thing. <laughs> Tell me later, at me. Um, and uh, and so they have this lush green area that they all have lived, their, their, their people have continued to live in from generation to generation. And they have been blissfully unaware that outside of their valley, um, you know, the world has continued to evolve. And now it's actually the Bronze Age, not the Stone Age. And um, and we have these uh, you know these uh, Tom Hiddleston voices the villainous French French accented for no right. good reason no reason for just because that's more villainous I guess French accented villain who intends to come and plunder all the natural resources so we're back to Black Panther uh, <laughs> so basically their vibranium um, you know these people are coming for it which is bronze uh, yes and um, and although brief <laughs> one thing i want to say about black panther is you know one thing it kind of overlaps with get out about is um is that it's also about this idea that sort of like the currency of of black greatness and black excellence and the way that like the outside world wants to and, and white people in particular want to sort of take that mm-hmm. and so um you know so in the way that get out is about that in a very bodily way and then in black panther vibranium sort of it takes on that kind of similar sense of like, this is the meaning of this. This is, you know, this is like the black excellence that must be protected. Right. Um, but back to early man, back to early man. Um, it's just bronze and, uh, and they want to take it. And, uh, and so somehow one thing leads to another and it all comes down to a decision that if these cavemen can get their shit together and put together a decent soccer team, that um, that if they can beat the leading Bronze Age uh, soccer team, that they get to keep their valley unplundered. It's such a weird thing that um, as they pit against pit against each other, this this like the Bronze Age civilization against the Stone Age civilization, that the Bronze Age is really like the Middle Ages. Like it's, mm, they have this mm-hmm. huge stadium and they have this uh, like a monarchy and. Um, all of this like incredibly advanced technology. So it's not really stone to bronze um, at all. It's like huge gaps of time in terms of like how civilized these two um, groups of people are. Um, Rebecca would like to actually the movie. No, (laughs) it's not actually. It's just like such a bullshit premise. (laughs) I don't know anything about the ages. And so I was willing to buy that this was like, yes, okay. People to think that people went from, from like loincloth cave people to like having a market that has coins and money and mm-hmm. like sells wares and like goes and watches a soccer, a fully formed soccer game is a leap that is that I can't even, there's no, only a man who would interchange a meteor and an asteroid <laughs> would not understand. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, I didn't know. Does Is the Bronze Age the one that came after the Stone Age? I believe so. See, I don't know these but things. But all of these things are like, so far before Jesus, even this is put right. it in the most broad yes. terms. Yes, uh, before I know. like AD B- BC, right? Let yeah, alone, I know let alone um, things like having a gigantic soccer stadium and like. Right. I mean, I guess you could say like the Roman, the Roman period would be like a more relatable, t- like aesthetic wise, wise right. to make it even. Uh, well, uh, you- 
closer bond but you know it seems like they're just going they're going for the absurdism and and it'd be one thing if it was also the whole thing just doesn't you're not invested because none of it makes any sense there's no point and then you're gonna play soccer i don't so that's where it lost rebecca um (laughs) pretty much right off the bat uh and you know all that would be forgivable to me if it were funny but it's not no that's the real bummer here is that it's just not funny like it's, it's a real kind of 50-50 ratio between the gags and the lines that draw like a ha-ha-ha and the ones where you're like, oops, that landed with a thud. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so, and I think, you know, w- with any comedy, we've said this time and time again, like, if it's funny, then it's worth it. If it's not funny, it's not worth it. And this one is more unfunny than is funny. Absolutely. The, uh, the whole thing honestly would have been an, a complete wash and waste of time for both of us if not for the fact that it set up the all-time greatest joanna newsom burn <laughs> that anyone could ever have witnessed or wished on their friend who is a joanna newsom fan which rebecca is mm-hmm. there is a scene in which a warthog um mm-hmm. is somehow masquerading um within the evil man's evil castle and um and somehow winds up uh sort of as like a spa attendant winds up if you will I do I won't uh <laughs> winds up as a spa attendant for the king or whatever while he is uh you know while he has an eye mask on and is lounging in the bath and uh and so it starts off he's like oh he's like oh well you know uh well, and I'm like well, no that's not French but so in a French accent it's like oh you know give me a massage I want a massage right now and so the warthog is giving him a pretty good massage and then he's like go and play uh, the hop for me and at this point the warthog goes over and just starts like r- like whacking its little hooves on the harp strings <laughs> and going like to sing and I slowly lean toward Rebecca. <laughs> I see it coming a mile away. Yes, and I feel her feeling it coming a mile away. <laughs> and uh, and I'm like, early Joanna Newsome. And she's like, fuck you. <laughs> and it was, it was, it's the memory that I'll take away from uh, from watching this film that, uh, that I, I can't really recommend for uh, any other reasons. No, this movie was a uh, piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Waste of time. Wow. What are you giving it? Oh, I mean, for me, it's a consumed moderation. I wow, really? Yeah, yeah, I didn't think it was like nobody horrible. has any fucking time for this mess, dude. <laughs> I, maybe you have way more time than I do, but I there mean, is in no these days world. I do, well, but yeah, um, absolutely no way. <laughs> there are other things you could rewatch or watch. Go watch oh. Chicken Run again. Woo! Even though that has Mel Gibson's voice in it. Oh, you Does love it? Mel Gibson. You fucking love Mel Gibson. What are you talking about? It's just recommending Chicken Run. You're like, go watch Mel Gibson. Wasn't I just? Run. Oh, I just watched Pocahontas for the first time. You know Mel Gibson's in that too. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. You're Please a low-key Gibson apologist. Um, you know what? Everyone has one. <laughs> you know what? Granted, sometimes what? things get a little out of hand. <laughs> I just say. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is if you have time to watch this, just go home and watch What Women Want. Sugar tits. Be done with it. <laughs> I'm giving it send it back. Is it supposed to be a kid's movie? I, I don't know. Maybe if you're like a British kid who likes soccer, then fine. <laughs> um, and you wouldn't call it soccer. <laughs> exactly. Maybe. I don't know. Um, Early Man is rated PG for rude humor and some action. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which couldn't be more different. Uh, Double Lover. Chloe, a fragile young woman, falls in love with her psychoanalyst, but soon discovers that her lover is concealing a part of his identity. 
So this is where we lose the thread of uh, of the sort of unspoiled uh, utopia uh, that we have. It is a in, womb. In, yeah. Well, yes, yeah, there's that. So we have Wakanda and Black Panther, and we have the Stone Age Valley and Early Man. And uh, well, here it, I think it is <clears throat> it's your mind before you watch this movie. <laughs> yes, that is the unruined thing that you <laughs> that you ruin, uh, but gloriously so oh, by absolutely. watching this fucked up perverted movie. That super. It's been a while since I've oh been like kind of thrown on my ass by a French perv movie. But Just uh... when you think you've seen it all, and you're <laughs> and you do a movie podcast, and your job is quite literally to see it all. And you're kind of a creep in real life, so you like seek out the pervy creep stuff. Yeah, and you're usually let down because you're mm-hmm. like your perv bar is really high. Yeah, and very little clears it, and you have even you know it's gotten dusty. You don't even know if it's still there anymore until change the batteries on it. <laughs> until something comes along and just knocks it right off the hinges and that is what double lover does holy shit wow what a wild ride Woo! this is the opposite of the movie that you check your phone through no i was like w- w- i mean okay in this movie i wish we could have <laughs> so this movie was technically released on valentine's day and wow do i wish that we could have reviewed it the same week as 50 shades freed oh my god because like this this is just what a rejoinder to the whole 50 shades thing you know like if you think those movies are about sex or are sexual or sexy in any way mm. Like this movie is is so this is a movie that quite literally opens <laughs> with, with a close up of what I'm told is a pulsating vulva. <laughs> now is that right, Rebecca? Can you confirm that for me? Uh, yeah, that's what it is. I Jesus mean... Christ! <laughs> it is. It opens with our our heroine Chloe at the gynecologist, and uh, and it opens with a very clinical close up. Of her pulsating vagina, of her pulsating vulva, and uh, and I, I I was like I don't I don't know what I'm looking at, uh, <laughs> but it feels personal. <laughs> and uh, and so then we sort of set off on this journey of a uh, of our of our fragile young heroine, uh, who in that opening scene, in addition to learning what her vulva looks like. We find out that she's lost stomach pain and mm-hmm. that she has mommy issues. <laughs> and uh, but her but her gynecologist says that it's in your head, um, this pain. And so we think uh, she uses the royal we. Um, <laughs> I th- I think that you just need to go to a therapist and talk about this. So Chloe goes to a psychoanalyst. And uh, and he, which is like my favorite part of the movie, I think. Is it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a, lot a statement doesn't really make any sense when you've seen the movie. From. Yeah. But like, she goes to this. She like, goes I like to where she therapist. sees the doctor. <laughs> no, but it's like, she's like, I don't know. They tell me it's in my head, but I don't, I don't really, I don't understand how that could be. And then you proceed to this like, um, uh, what is like a multi-cut. Of her continuing to go back to him every week oh, and yeah. starting out with her saying, I, you know, I don't know what it is. It can't be anything. He literally says nothing to her the whole time. And mm-hmm. then she slowly, not so slowly, just divulges everything. And you just watch her like uh, analyze herself yeah. by continuing. She just dumps that's, the whole thing. It was therapy to me. You. It was just so hilarious. And then eventually he finally says like one thing and then she's fixed. It was yes. this really like hilarious look at therapy. Well. She's like, I have nothing to say. <laughs> Well, when then my mom <laughs> it really the movie does seem like it has jokes about therapy because yes. on the one hand uh so the reason it's not that she's fixed so much is that he reveals to her that they can't continue because he's developed feelings for her he caught feelings 
and she's like, I have feelings for you too. And so they No, right before that she was she was like, um so she's talking about her mother and then she she he was like and how does that make you feel? Oh, yeah. She's like, she's like oh, my stomach hurts. I'm like, okay, <laughs> wrap it up. That's done. <laughs> Close it down. <laughs> shut, the, shut the door on your way out. And then she's fine. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. So not only does it give you the sort of the fantasy that I think a lot of people have had of like, is my therapist in love with me? Oh my God. This was like, oh, now I remember why I wanted to be a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> the transference you're like all i want is for people to transfer onto me i just want people to uh, i just want people who are emotionally vulnerable to mm-hmm. look to me as their savior <laughs> is that so wrong yes and uh and so uh yeah so she lives out the fantasy of having her therapist literally fall in love with her and tell her they can't be together anymore right after he pretty much fixes her um, and it's like, yeah, I can't see you anymore after this because I have fallen for you. And she's like, I've fallen for you too. And, uh, and so they move in together with alarming speed. And, and this is where, so, uh, you know, it continues to give off these amazing sort of like influence, uh, uh, references. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because, so right off the bat with the therapy angle, it's giving us, early 90s erotic thriller because that's back Mm -hmm. when it was all about therapy yeah like you know like therapy really came of age in cinema in the early 90s yes um you know movies like final analysis color of night these erotic thrillers were all rooted around therapy and uh, even going back earlier to dress to kill uh Mm. which uh de palma certainly has a big influence in this film uh, which is uh, directed by Francois Ozon, uh, who uh, has done a lot of De Palma-influenced work and who's certainly one of the sort of the great, consistent, like, lurid provocateurs of French <laughs> cinema. The old French creeps. Oh, yeah. Uh, so not only do we have the whole therapy angle, but then we have the moving into a creepy new building angle. Yes. Uh, in a high-rise with a creepy older lady neighbor uh, with a bunch of stuffed cats. <laughs> now Rebecca. <laughs> That was a, it was weird that she lived there. Now, did you sell your life rights uh, to Ozon directly, uh, or did you have um, someone to arrange that for you? No, I was done through a third party. Okay, good. Uh, so then you're feeling, okay, you feel Rosemary's baby. Mm-hmm. You feel Sliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all those references then come piling in. And then when things get even crazier, and this is, in the grand scheme of things, not crazy at all compared to what happens later in the film, uh, but so Chloe finds out that her um, her partner, Paul, has a twin brother who he does not acknowledge. And she finds this out without his knowledge. Which is another like like hilarious, another hilarious moment in the movie where um, maybe I was just really focused on that therapy part. But um, th- like when she first moves in, she like just finds a box while moving her stuff mm-hmm. in. And she sees that his um, passport used to has a different last name on it. Yes. And she like after moving in with him realizes she's like, you know so much about me, but I know nothing about you. <laughs> he says right. nothing to her this whole time, except like, I love you, move in. Right. And which is all she needed to hear. She realized that she doesn't know anything about this guy. Yes. Um, which is hilarious. Also, I, I don't know. I can't make this connection, and maybe you can if I just kind of like softball this at you. Sure. The the way both of these characters look also is like very like she has like a very like sixties new Chloe. wave. Yeah. Um, the actress who plays I, her has a very like John Seaborg kind of. Um, she was very Natalie Portman to me. She was very oh, okay. like Natalie Portman crossed with Keira Knightley. 
Interesting. Okay. Um, and, and he also, I don't know, maybe it's just like Europeans have a classic way of yes, looking. Yes, they do. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> You're spot on there. But he, his aesthetic gives me like a Christian Slater type with the glasses and the hair um, yes. well, sort should, of look. I should note that the actor, uh, his, his name sounds like a French version of an American actor's name. Uh, because his name is Jeremy Renier, which is which is <laughs> French Renner? for Jeremy Renner. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and the actor kind of kind of maybe could somewhat resemble if you gave Jeremy Renner a little bit of facial hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but he can never look as as suave. That's the as, surprise. As, it's as, actually as, a as double that, Jeremy right? Renner. Exactly. There's Jeremy and there's Jeremy. But so uh, so she finds out about this twin brother whose name is Louis, and uh, and then a different therapy fantasy kicks in uh, where. To, to, to hearken back to a monologue once given by one Stanford Blatch on Sex in the City, um, you know, sometimes you want to have different therapists for different moods. <laughs> uh, you know, you want your one who's going to coddle you and just be silent and just, you know, sort of let you work through your problems yourself. And sometimes you want your tough love therapist who's just going to neg you into the ground. And neg and- you into the ground, he does. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, uh, yeah. So, Louis is the much more id-driven uh, mm-hmm, of the twins mm-hmm. and is has just a really aggressively dark masculine sexual energy and um uh, rapist one could say but she is into it and so uh so we have now chloe begins a an affair with her partner's twin brother and they both are you know they're both they're, they're both psychoanalysts they both work in the same town, uh, but they but one claims to not know the other. Don't think too much about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think another inter- interesting part is that like the way she runs into him or n- finds out that he has his brother is that she thinks she sees her boyfriend with a woman as yes. she's on the bus. So like it kind of gets starts to get into this like you know gaslight territory <clears> where <throat> she's like, "No, I saw you," and he's doesn't tell her he has a brother. He's like, "No, it must have been somebody else." Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's you know has moved changed her life. Told this guy everything, moved in, found out his last name is different, thinks she's cheating, thinks he's cheating on her. Right. Then finds out about the twin. Like she's going down this road of like, um, that is not setting setting someone else setting someone up for a, um, you know, emotionally stability, stable, yes. yeah, um, no stability. relationship. No, no, it's not that. And um, and so yeah, so she gets into the situation where she has her sweet, her sweet uh partner who is, you know, building this life with her. And then she has his his crazy brother who, you know, just fucks her 10 ways from Sunday. And, uh, and it's basically like, I fuck you the way my brother can't. And, um, and it's all very, it would be, Rebecca and I were messaging about the movie and we were like, you know, it's really no wonder that the French didn't really pick up the whole Me Too thing. Because <laughs> the attitudes about sex and, uh, and consent, uh, certainly as, as typified by this movie, definitely stretch some definitions and understandings and there is one scene that feels that is pretty much a straight-up rape that is still very sexualized um there's a scene even where she is she's she's brutalized pretty horrifically Mm -hmm. um and she just kind of like walks off like (laughs) and it's not at all like it's not a big deal i had seen when i saw that uh that really aggressive scene and like there's that like the breaking of the mirror Mm -hmm. um i it it took me back to itanya actually Mm -hmm. um in a way that like you can have a scene that is incredibly jarring without being you know air quotes funny um and but still be really dramatic and really impactful yes um by using um 
So she's on this journey of, uh, so she's kind of, you know, in a very traditional, um, you know, place for characters in these kinds of films where she's just a woman on a mission to find out the truth and uh, behind all these lies and secrets. And, um, and, uh, and, it, and it sort of, you know, weaves its way to a twist ending that frankly is not satisfying. Um, this is not a movie that, uh, it's not the kind of movie that when it gives you its twist that it will then slowly like hold your hand and walk you back through and be like here's what you were seeing here here's what this was no. like it just it totally just abandons you at the end um it's like actually here's the truth and you're like but what about the last 70 minutes and they're like i'm not gonna tell you <laughs> things are crazy yeah this is not a movie that's gonna tell you what was real and what was hallucination it uh but what it will do is give you a lot of the most fucked up sex scenes you'll ever <laughs> ever see in your whole life some great, uh, really uh, progressive pegging scene. Ooh, there is pegging, guys. There is actual pegging. There is also a scene involving menstrual blood that made me shriek, shriek out loud from my shez. Really? Yes. You, because did, you did an old shez shriek? You, I did a shez shriek because you don't see that in movies. Yeah, that's true. Um, whenever it makes itself known, I would... <gasps> I was shook by it. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a sort of a, there's a twin cest scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what can you say? <laughs> uh, there is. I feel like that's the tagline for this movie. What can you say? How do you say that in French? Uh, um, uh, qu'est-ce que, uh, you know, comment tu dis? I don't know. Uh, comment pouvoir tu dis? Yeah, I'm losing it. Um, but, uh, but you, you blew up my spot. You're like, there, speak French now, motherfucker. <laughs> Can't do it, can ya? Uh, it is just so fucking bonkers, uh, that by the time that Jacqueline Bissette shows up halfway through <laughs> speaking French, you're like, sure, let's yeah, keep doing, whatever. let's just keep going with this. Um, and, uh, in, you know, and also leading to a very, very jarring kind of gory scene. Mm. Um, you just, you're just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and even though at the end of the film, as we said, it does not really satisfy. That's fine. You're worth the ride alone. It's like a, it's the like a David alone. Lynch situation. Yeah. The ride alone has been totally worth it. Don't be so American. Don't expect <laughs> exactly. this to be, don't, what, come on. Yes, leave your American ideas about plot resolution and sexual respect <laughs> at the door. Leave them at the door. This movie does not share them. Uh, well, and- yeah, I mean, I don't know why I'm not more upset at this movie. <laughs> like, it upset me when I was watching it, but I'm, I don't know why. This is a thing I need to unpack when I'm like, oh, well. You know. <laughs> I know. I saw. Uh, it's not making light. It's just like I wh- saw reviews that were like pointing out that like this I, this movie's vision of women is so retrograde. It is. Uh, and you know, because she's like this fragile little nymph who just needs to be like fucked right. And she's like and she's totally on the verge at the of whim of her body and yeah. like oh, like yeah. uh, her reproductive you know mm-hmm. uh, her system is like tampering with her mind right yeah she yeah she's just yeah she's out of her goddamn mind and uh <laughs> and she just needs her mother and her man to like put her in her right place and then she'll be at God, peace there's this whole scene with like a, a woman who's uh with a woman um who had, who had also been of interest to these brothers who is now paralyzed which is also like a very haunting uh haunting situation um this movie just yeah it, it gives you a lot of very unsettling um images Yes. Uh, uh, I thought the pegging scene was great, though. That was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it's so, uh, yeah, there's... It's kind of hot. <laughs> it yeah. was very hot. I was, like, 
let me just settle in for a minute uh, and really appreciate this and like think about all the women I want to recommend this movie to. <laughs> so many girlfriends who have that fantasy. And uh, and the guy uh, who she does it to is very chill <laughs> about it. Mm-hmm. He's just like, sure. Uh, like, I don't even know if they show her using lube. I don't uh, think so. But they, they just, she just goes and she straps it on. He helps her tie it up. And then she starts to go to town. And uh, and we're watching it pretty close range. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting, I was, I was a little disappointed that it was a bit um, anticlimactic. Because, but, she, because um, she didn't come at the end of yeah. it? Yeah. Ah. But, you know. Well, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it does, you know, it was almost more realistic because he just kind of, she does it until he can't take it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then he's like, okay. And she's like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how people in relationships talk to each other after sex. <laughs> okay. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> it had the ring of truth to it. It felt authentic. Oh, uh, yeah, this movie is fucking weird. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. God, did I enjoy it. I really, it just blew my hair back. Uh, <laughs> I love that phrase. It's like, it's like those old ads for cassette tapes with like the guy sitting in the chair. <laughs> that was me watching this movie. Uh, but with like my jaw hanging open. Uh, which I guess made me maybe look like Edward Munch's The Scream, but like in a chair, in a chaise. Uh, yeah, it snatched my wig. I I was not prepared for it. And this is definitely a must-see to believe movie. Oh, that said, there's like a hundred trigger warnings yes. on this movie. Just go with it. Um, it is not rated. It's, it's a binge it for me. Oh, uh, yeah, I think for me too. <laughs> enough. I can't even explain myself, oh. um, but yeah, it is. It defies explanation. Um, it is unrated, but would be NC-17 for graphic sexuality, nudity, and violence. Um, let's take a moment and connect with our friend Joshua Grinnell um, here on The Binge. All right, guys. Well, it is time for Rebecca and I to be held accountable for our unpopular opinions. Uh, we are joined now by Voice of the People, Joshua Grinnell. Uh, to let us know why, on the subject of the film I, Tanya, we might be mistaken. Joshua, thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. It's so good to be back. Yay! It's great to have you back. What do we? What should we? Should we call this segment something like uh, "Suck It Binge"? Or <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I will bitching say, at the binge. I will say this: that I uh, definitely uh, have heard. Uh, from others that that your opinion you're not totally alone you know that I've, I've heard from other friends of mine I think Jason and I had a shocking interaction when he told me he went mild for the movie and I yes. freaked out but um mm-hmm. is that where those scratches came from it, yes, yeah yes mm-hmm. it, it ruined my holiday season <laughs> uh and uh and if I recall correctly you also were somewhat mild on ladybird and that same conversation yeah so funnily enough I went more mild for ladybird mm-hmm. and uh and you were really upset by that. Yes. I mean, I thought it, I thought it was intense the way you cried. But um, that's but, how I cry. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it's an interesting thing. I mean, I really get that Lady Bird is super successful as far as its filmmaking competency, and 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 again, I think I've revisited it in my mind a little bit, mm-hmm. and kind of it's grown on me more. Um, I think maybe because. Uh, yeah, no, I, I went to Catholic high school and it was so similar to my own experiences. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the young women 
I knew who were like Ladybird were a little more, you know, dynamic. I, I, I guess I was looking for more, you know, mm. from her. I feel like this divide between you two, um, that I'm so glad you're able to sit in the same room again after all the tears yes. and the bleeding, mm-hmm. is is very on point. Like a Joshua, you like the uh, the gnarlier things, the, yes, the more subversive, true. ugly look right. at, at at the world. And yes. Jason is, you know, kind of a little bit of a princess in a castle. I don't that's his, true at all. <laughs> views about, um, all I know is that we're not allowed to. Back at Bobby's place together. That's the one thing that <laughs> as a result of that of that throwdown. Because when I I cry once every few years, and when I do, it's intense. But mm-hmm. uh, well, were you years. guys on the same page with uh, Lady Bird? Lady Bird. So Lady Bird, I think I was a little bit more uh, weak. What are you calling it? Light on, light on Lady mild. Bird. Mild, <laughs> going mild. I went. I was more mild on Lady Bird than Jason was because I had it was the same week uh, as Three Billboards, mm-hmm. which was my um, uh, peak of the year. I would really. Say. It's Definitely. so funny we're all over the map because mm-hmm. I also I thought that was so campy and over the top in, you know, a, in a good way kind of <laughs> see now you see why we fought yeah 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 my all my <laughs> all my sacred oh, she's cows cracking the knuckles here we go my yeah. sacred cows he was like man then he was like I Tanya is the best film of the year I'm like you're out of your goddamn mind I said it was tied with Get Out yes which fine mm. which and, yeah. and very close behind that for me was The Shape of Water so mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 <laughs> are we really differing on everything? No, well, yes, yes. And also yeah. I just can't now, I can't not now think by uh, grinding Nemo. Go on. Grind. <laughs> right. Nemo, okay. Yeah. Grinding Nemo. Yeah. I just, yeah. Three, three billboards. I, I, well, well, we're not here to talk about that, but that's a whole nother we show. We can. You know? I mean, you know, this is, uh, everyone's used to just mine Rebecca's echo chamber. And I think, well, with Lady Bird, you didn't have an issue with it. You were just kind of like, Three Billboards was your number one with a bullet. And Absolutely. you also related to because Rebecca also went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm, I did. And so she connected with it in that sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I felt like it wasn't the most representative of, of my exam, of my experience there. But yeah, I mean, it was it was wonderful. And I think that it was a delightful movie. And if it had come out of time five years ago, it would have been, you know, everything. But there's just too much exciting new stuff happening. And Lady right. Bird just isn't, wasn't quite there. You yeah, did. I agree with you. It was a beautiful movie really well acted i think the script was really great mm-hmm. i think i just uh, wanted a little bit more from the script you know a little but but i get that that's part of what makes it special right, in right. a way is that it's this sort of snapshot and the scene where the um kid who's gay breaks down the kid mm-hmm. from uh, three billboards right. mm-hmm. was so uh beautiful between the two of them mm-hmm. uh, and and all the mother daughter um uh, work that they did that the two um, actresses mm-hmm. uh, were so so great yeah so I get that Lady Bird is a great movie mm-hmm. but like you say there were there were so many good movies this year that others rose to the top for me same and one of those was I Tanya for you yes it was wow. I'm proud to say it <laughs> raisin raisin in this opinion this is like that opinion when you're just like you know what uh, I don't care what you say Burger King makes amazing hamburgers <laughs> you okay. take your in so, and out and your five guys and you shove it I feel like I should give some context right okay. you're a professional figure skater no 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 <laughs> I'm not at all I know nothing about it I'm definitely I am a professional connoisseur of camp and mm-hmm. um and com- dark comedy and uh, and pop culture to some degree. Mm-hmm. And when this uh, trailer came out and the the sort of the buzz around it started, I actually did a bit of an eye roll. So 
for me, I thought, oh, God, this is going to be tired. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be, oh, you know, the, the tabloid story we've heard where Tanya Harding is just this white trash idiot who created this drama, you know, where she got involved with Vine. Like, I really did not give it any credit going into it, okay? Because we'd seen all the comedy sketches back when it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like beating a dead horse. And because the marketing didn't really effectively, to my, to my mind, yeah. tell you, no, this is different. Yes, it's called I, Tanya, but you don't know, at least in my mind, that it's going to be a, a, a more layered and interesting way to tell a story. And so the way they told the story, using the differing accounts from, you know, interviews I'd seen, you know, because I was interested in the story. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the performances were incredible. Right. Uh, the script was audacious and different and unique. Uh, and the camp and the dark comedy, the tone of it was also uh, particularly risky. Mm-hmm. I just mm. was really, you know, impressed by it. I, for me, it came together and it worked. But for a lot of other people, and, you know, not just you guys, it, it didn't work. For me, it really worked. But it also uh, helped that I went in, I think, with pretty low expectations and expected mm. this other thing. Yeah. And so when it started and it was playing out, you know, I was kind of going like, this isn't this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Like, this is yeah. this is totally not what I thought it was going to be. There was an element of surprise. For, for you, sure, for me, yeah. a huge role. And but I, I saw it opening weekend, you know. Right, and which was also really late in the year, too, right? Like, you had kind of already seen everything else. Yeah, and, and, I, and again, I, I went more because, yeah, I'd seen everything else. We go to the movies all the time, mm-hmm. my partner and I. And I knew I was going to see it, but I really didn't think I was going to like it, you know. Um, when you hit, was part of the surprise the actual story or did you feel like Um, you were aware of what you were going to what what the full story was uh i thought it was going to be a lot more one-dimensional and Mm. um and i did not expect the sort of raw look at her upbringing and the sort of abuse uh that her mother had inflicted on her uh you know yes and some of it was controversially presented maybe comedically, but I also thought it was very striking and upsetting and really um, gave a sense for who Tanya Harding was or is, you know, in, in a much deeper level than, than I've experienced before. Um, and, you know, I guess maybe we'll say that this obviously conversation is probably going to be full of spoilers because mm-hmm. how can you have the conversation sure. dissecting a movie? But, right. you know, the, the moment where the knife um, happened mm. literally took my breath away and was I thought very effective and really in- incredible storytelling and um, yeah I don't know it just it did, wasn't what I expected at all mm-hmm. yeah and I think that uh, on the other end of the spectrum Rebecca you went into it <laughs> expecting the world you like I think many people it's funny that you had the reaction you did to the trailer because I cannot tell you the last time that I heard this many people watch a trailer and then say holy shit. I need to watch this movie like yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like the trailer was so effective for so many, but I think you're a bit more maybe discerning. You kind of kind of read between the lines of like the trailer sort of fanfare. You're like, okay, I think I know what this is going to be. But yeah, a lot the trailer of- beats were just kind of tired. You know, like they yeah. were they were designed to sell tickets, mm-hmm. which is right. not why I was excited to see the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? But, uh, but Rebecca, on the other hand, uh, was hook, line, and sinker <laughs> all the way in to the point where when I handed her my Oscar screener to watch the movie, 
she literally began to tear up. I did. I was so excited. <laughs> I was so ready to see it. Oh, wow. And you hated it. I was really disappointed by it. I wouldn't say that I, I hated it. Um, I think that, um, you know, there is... So first of all, just maybe a little bit of, of, of context. There's this lost episode of The Binge currently <laughs> that has not yet been published, which is our... Um, thorough review of I, Tanya with uh, other friend of the show, uh, Ingu Kang. Um, and in this episode, we're all day drinking and I get progressively drunk and I've had a very hard time editing and putting it together um, out of shame. Um, it will surface, I think. I think. It was our 100th episode. <laughs> now it's no longer our 100th well, we've episode. Had a, we've had a 100th episode. So you were celebrating. Then. We and, were celebrating yeah. and we got out of hand beforehand. <laughs> it's the and, only time uh, it's happened. Yes. Must uh, be strange like listening to yourself drunk that's it's it's, terrible it's i think you would use the word paralyzing because (laughs) literally i uh i've been doing this podcast for we've been doing it for about two years now i've been doing a radio show for over 10 and i'm very used to hearing myself i'm not that person that's like oh my god that's what i sound like and i have i i can't i put the headphones on i start listening to two minutes and it's like hearing yourself at your most drunk being so obnoxious and listening to the other people be like kind of kind but like clearly not as drunk and like getting more annoyed because i'm just repeating myself it is so bad guys oh God. um it's well, made me like not want to drink anymore it's a whole thing so so there's you have a, to share that with the I world. know. Yeah. So I'm just like, just be vulnerable with the world. That's what podcasting, you'll, you'll win a whole new fan base. People be like, oh, we've all been there. <laughs> we've all been there. And they've probably also been, because the only thing I remember you doing that day in particular that, that was showing your hand a little bit was like we would start to review a movie and then like two minutes into our review, she'd be like, so we're going to give it. Where are you going to give it? What is it? Where, where are you? Let's wrap it up. Where, where, are you gonna, where, are you, where is it? Binge it? What are we doing? Binge it? Uh, so that was that was my only recollection. But uh, I guess you were a bit surlier than that. Or at least that's your perception of it. Because you're just, you're in a prison of your own making right now yeah, with this I whole bet, episode. I, I bet it's it really not is, yeah. as bad as you think. Yeah. I don't know, guys. Maybe I'll play a little bit for you after we're done here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's it's the repetitiveness. Uh, it's the way I keep saying the same thing all the time. It's really, really something else. And then Ingrid, well, that's what drunk people up. do, right? I mean, yeah. like, you know. Yeah. That's how it works. Um, but so, so we'd had this episode where so even we did saying a it now, of it and you're triggering. You're being triggered. I am by, being triggered because I'm about to repeat one of my stories on the show <laughs> times. And Jason, maybe this will trigger you when you hear it. But um, oh boy. I think the, that there's a thirty for thirty episode. <laughs> <laughs> 30 for 30, the ESPN series. Does that sound familiar, Jason? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I feel like everyone talks about the 30 for 30, uh, the price of gold one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Came but... out about, what, two and a half years ago? Right, right around the time we taped that episode. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, it was the moment that exposed the real story of Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. Um, you know, up until then, I had had the one point of view, which is like, she's you know, uh, a terrible person with, with, uh, who ruined this woman's life. And this was the drama and, um, and watching the backstory, um, in a very, um, sincere way, uh, just, you know, blew my mind apart. It's one of those things like, this is what you thought your whole life and you were wrong and your parents are racist and like classist and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having gone through that, this movie I thought was going to give a more reverent a- approach, uh, in exposing her backstory and the fact that it was comedic and, and knowing that it was real was was hard to swallow. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was expecting it with the way that they like sort of cut the trailer in a very um, exciting, almost like a, I had to, has that like Wolf of Wall Street feel to it, right? Mm-hmm. That like mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was going to be a lot more of showing her and then showing her more as a hero than it did because I still felt like it made a 
a bit of a, a laughing stock of her more than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. And so I found that disappointing. And then I found the like the sort of reenactment of, of her abuse um, disappointing. And the thing is, she likes it. So who am I to say um, that the that's movie, wrong? The movie, not the abuse. Right, right. Um, you know, but okay, that's, so what, the, that's where the disconnect happened for me. Yes. Okay. So I've thought a lot about the reenactment of the abuse mm-hmm. because of uh, the response to it. And why did it work for me and not for others? And I guess my take on it would be that, and I don't know what the filmmaker thought, but I did uh, align myself with this point of view that for Tanya to survive the life that she was handed in a world um, that is full of, um, you know, uh, uh, craziness. And I mean, just the scenes of him like coming to her house and trying to break in and the way the way it all is handled. I actually bought it. Like, I actually feel like abuse becomes normal. Um, you know, it it's uh, it, it almost felt casual, right? Like even the knife scene, mm. you know, leading up to it. And I was thinking about it and I was like, for me, part of the horror of it, even with the pop music and the quick editing and all of that, was that this was this person's life. Mm-hmm. And despite the normalcy, this is their normal. And in their world, this was the the the, the normal way to get married, the normal relationship with a mother. And it was all, you know, just totally fucked, right? But despite all of that, she, you know, was able to become the best at something in the world. Um and for other people, the music, the the cutting, uh, you know, the edit. The fourth um, wall. The fourth wall was a huge turnoff because somehow in their mind, um, it was trivializing the, the harsh brutality of what was going on. For me, it didn't work that way. Like I was, I'm not saying like I'm right or someone's wrong, <laughs> but I actually think it's really interesting, you know, listening and talking to people like I. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was laughing at her abuse at all, not for one moment, or even, you know, thinking that the director was or the filmmaker was making light of it. Um, and the, the fourth wall thing um, usually turns me off in a lot of movies. I think, you know, there's a few places it works well, like Ferris Bueller and a few, other, you know, mm-hmm. um, and for whatever reason, because of the style of the movie and them telling you, we're going to tell you this story through different people's voices and accounts. I think that fourth wall thing actually like really worked well for me. Um, and I, and I have friends who hated it. Mm-hmm. You know? The only way I could see the fourth wall working is that I, I would think in, or in, in times of high stress and high anxiety and like fear, you have a tendency to disconnect from a situation. And so in that way I could see that it would work that you're like, you totally like disassociate your body from what's going on. And you kind of like, it's like I'm thinking like Tori Amos. Um, never mind. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, please continue. Just as I normally every once in a while drift to Tori Amos. I sure. was thinking about the like thinking all, about being in Barbados and uh, oh, yeah. that kind of and that kind again. of like yeah. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and in that way, I think it works. I think that um, it's it's not so much that it trivializes it as um, it. It makes, well, I guess, it, I don't know. It makes it, uh, it, it separates it from, from reality. Um, and, and not just the fourth wall, but like the way it, they, they handled the abuse. The fact that it's a, a real person, I don't know why that, that's why it seems, mm-hmm. um, 
mm, it, it it doesn't allow you to think it really happened. It seems like it's you're taking a real life and you're turning it into a movie, and then you're making it seem like a movie instead of making it seem like real life. That's is that's, that weird? That's kind of interesting. I was kind of just thinking in that direction too, because I was thinking, what you know, is there something wrong with that? And I think that from the very first time I saw this in September, what I was thinking, what I was thinking was that this movie, the first adjective that always came to mind about it was fun. Mm. Like this movie is so fun. It's so entertaining because, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's cut and, and, and shot and edited and scored in a way that makes it this really sort of slick piece of entertainment uh, along the lines of like a Goodfellas or, uh, you know, people like, I think straight guys always compare it to Goodfellas and gay guys compare it to Drop Dead Gorgeous. <laughs> but, you know, so it's basically, it's somewhere between and those And do women two. have an opinion? No. Okay. So it's somewhere between those two <laughs> things. <laughs> Somewhere between those two things, it's, you can you can let us know. It's like it's like me and a gun. is what you're saying. So that's your <laughs> that's your comparison. But uh, but you know, and is there something perverse in being able to bundle and package and narrate her lifetime of abuse, and for it to be so entertaining? Is there something innately, inherently kind of broken and, and wrong with that? And I think that's also when we had our our like our epic bloodletting at that holiday party about this. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I remember one thing that in particular that we diverged on was the line where Tanya addresses the audience directly and says, you know, like you're all my abusers too. And that for me was the movie kind of being bogus because that I remember I was like it was like it's having its cake and eating its too because it is bundling the story of her abuse into this this really slick entertaining comedy. And I, I personally, well, that's okay. So you're right. That is the, that's the moment, right? That is the make or break. That is the make or break mm-hmm, moment. Mm-hmm. And for me, it right. totally worked. And when other people were seeing Drop Dead Gorgeous, I was like, I don't know what. I was in another world. I was seeing Precious, or not even pre- like I was like, this is tragic and so sad and mm-hmm. like so powerful. And through all this camp and tabloid and color and wildness and insanity, there is this woman who was at the center of it and had to be abused by her mother. And I believed it. I mm. believed, oh my God, that relationship when when they have that scene in the diner. I mean, I was just mm. like tearing up. So like it just worked different for different people. The 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 stuff with the husband, I uh, like being in love with someone who beats you. I bought it, you know, Mm -hmm. I bought it and, and trying to escape that, but falling back into it and being, you know, being poor and competing in a world where, you know, like people have better costumes and, um, better materials and, and trying to like, you know, move into a new class. Like when the, the judge told her, like, you're just not what we want. Mm -hmm. Like I felt that. So when she said that to the audience, like, and you abused me too, I had a moment, like, mm. like a chill went through me. And obviously, a lot of the audience was watching Drop Dead Gorgeous or whatever. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. You know, I was mm. like there for the ride. I felt like it was so emotionally, um, such a roller coaster. And um, it's just interesting how it works differently for different people. So like, I think that scene, that line is, the, and it's very audacious mm-hmm. for a filmmaker mm-hmm. to hinge. I mean, if he didn't know that that's the moment that people are either going to like, right, you right, know, right. Um, buy into this movie or not, like he mm-hmm. had to know that that script all uh, revolved around that moment because it's mm-hmm. such a risky thing to do because yeah. 
if you tell the audience you did this to me and they feel nothing or they right. roll their eyes, right. boom, movie is, you know, yeah. n- none of it works. But right. for me, it worked. Well, it, it is a really radical moment to be sure. And it reminded me of just now when you were talking, I thought about the end of The Wolf of Wall Street, which mm-hmm, you already brought mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm. is also a scene that ends with a reflection of the audience, like quite literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we have DiCaprio's character, um, and now he is, you know, he's still, this whole movie has been about, you know, sort of the ugliness of capitalism and the way that, you know, the way that people become rich by ripping off, you know, poor people. And then at the end, after this guy has been disgraced, he's able to rise again doing these get-rich-quick seminars. And then at the end, Scorsese turns the camera on the audience. And so you, at the end of this film, are quite literally the audience of the film watching this audience watch DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. But I felt like that was a more artful way, frankly, um, to sort of, to, to say that, to suggest like to kind of volley it over with almost a call to action to the audience to be like, how about you? What's your role in all this? You know, like, where's your, how are you complicit? Like, what will you do differently? And I think that like, I absolutely have no doubt that Tanya Harding, I think she says in every interview that she was like, everyone victimized me. Like the tabloid readers did it. Like anyone out there who followed the story and talked about with their friends uh, or, you know, like paid uh, to buy a tablet with my picture in it, you were all part of it. I guess I just felt like it was the movie itself taking a step into a sort of a sanctimonious self-righteous territory as if it stood on that same ground with her when I felt like the movie did the same thing was in a, in a way doing the same thing while I think it, I mean, it, it contains multitudes I think it does it has redeemed her in a lot of ways although now there's been a backlash to that because people are like okay first of all this woman today is like a Trump supporter um, and uh, and you know there's been a lot of sports reporters from the time who've come forward and been like, wow, are they misleading the public with this movie? Mm-hmm. And they pin the whole thing on the guy who's conveniently dead now. Uh, and uh, so, which I did not realize when I first watched the movie that that character, uh, the accomplice of Gululi, who they pin the whole thing on, has actually died. And mm-hmm. Tanya and Jeff are still alive. And the big guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you mentioned uh, uh, the Drop Dead Gorgeous connection, I almost feel like one of the key failures is, um, which I was the thing I was so excited about, is having Alice and Janney in this movie. I what? Feel, I feel like that's... <laughs> okay, what if I just like passed out? <laughs> You're about to get the full force I got at that holiday party. No, 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 no. I'm more like lay it on me because this is, this is I've, I've heard the other criticisms, but not this one. I'm going to sit back. Um... Allison Janney was amazing in Drop Dead Gorgeous. And having her in this movie is saying that this movie is Drop Dead Gorgeous. Mm. Instead of saying that this is, a, again, a real tragic story of lives. That This is just Drop Dead Gorgeous Part 2. Allison Janney's being fucking hilarious. But this isn't fucking hilarious. But I totally disagree because you're sort of saying an actress, you know, and I wonder if... You'd say this about a male, too. Jack, I'm just wondering, just putting it out there, we're socialized to women who do camp are trivialized. I mean, I keep using that word, but they're not held in the same esteem as uh, Al Pacino in Scarface. That is a camp performance. Jack Nicholson is the Joker. That is a camp performance. Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. That is a camp performance. When women do it, Faye Dunaway and Mommy Dearest, Alice and Jenny, whoever, when they're brilliant at it, mm-hmm. they aren't also allowed to right. um, travel in and out of other genres or other stories, you know, without being maybe Meryl Streep because she did Death Becomes right. Her. But even she rarely does comedy anymore. You know, she needs to be seen. And I feel like men 
get the not to say that you're <laughs> sexist or something. I'm just this in a weird in a twist of events. I'm no 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 no. I'm just saying. Would we say this? Yeah. And is Allison Janney not allowed to t- sort of tra- tackle a role like I Tanya, mm-hmm. um, where I think she actually again surprised me because it was not a camp performance. I thought she was so committed to bringing a darkness and a damage to that character that was so stoically presented that I found it chilling. I did not. I mean, was there 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 were laughable moments with the, the woman, birds? But the, but that was what that was real. I mean, the, right. that was the interview that the woman gave. Like Allison, I think delivered such. I mean, because okay, the other challenge with this film is these are people that have been interviewed on camera. Mm-hmm, They're people that mm-hmm. exist in real life. You know, it's not like, the, you know, uh, a Goodfellas or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we, we, we can look at them and go, well, guess what? Like that lady, that mom, she was an eccentric weirdo mm-hmm. who was funny and easy to laugh at. And I felt like Allison really elevated it to a, a level of, you know, when she's watching the TV and, mm-hmm. and there's that, that shot of her. Right. I just thought like, she deserves all trophies and prizes because she really gave it um, a depth that was impressive, I thought. So I, I, I feel like, you know, if she – I get what you're saying to some degree. Maybe the casting director should have been like, oh, Allison – but I'm glad they let her do it. I don't know. Well, and it was written for her. The friend, the person who wrote as screenwriter is a friend of hers, a longtime friend of hers, and it was written – I forgot about that. It was really? for her, yeah. so it was written in her voice, and I think that it shows. Like, it's like a very Janny character. And they do give her very explicit laugh lines that have nothing to do with anything. Like, when they cut to her saying, well, my storyline's gone to shit right about now. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, right, right. You know, so, like, it is, uh, you know, she – Allison Janney just happens to be a really brilliant comedian – who just can do timing like none other, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I think that that is the issue. Yeah, right. I, I think that there's there's sort of an inherent hilarity to the character, and to me, I love Allison Janney. And I think she should have an Oscar, but I didn't. In this, I just felt like she could do this performance in her sleep. Frankly, really, I think that it was. I think the styling goes huh. a long way. The glasses and the wig go a long, long way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that there's there's maybe two scenes where she pushed herself. The diner scene that you mentioned. Yeah. Which is her Oscar clip. It was amazing. And then the scene where she uh, where she goes to Tanya's home and she's wearing and she's tape recording her. Amazing. Um, mm-hmm. She plays a lot of layers in that what scene. What about the kitchen scene at the beginning? Uh, what, the knife scene? Yeah, that was like, um, I mean, I was like watching a monster. I didn't think it was funny. See, I, I just didn't. I didn't. Hmm. I didn't see Monique and Precious in that scene. I didn't see like I. I. I still like. I think it was her playing angry, but it was still. Uh, yeah, I just didn't see the monster. I didn't feel like with like when you're watching Monique and Precious, I feel like you're you're witnessing the most harrowing, monstrous mother ever filmed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I did not get that from Allison Janney uh, in 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 this role mm-hmm. in, the, in in that scene. I think that the the knife toss is is a huge shock. Uh, but again, that's, you know, that's the writing, you know, and that's also editing. I feel like that was dramatically edited to be particularly jarring, right? The way they, the camera follows it. And yeah. you're, you're not, you're, you're not expecting cause you're thinking, wait, I never heard that Tanya Harding was stabbed by her mother. Right. Just right. like you're thinking when Jeff shoots her, you're like, I never heard that Jeff Galuli shot Tanya Harding. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, but you know, so I, 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 I'm team Metcalf and supporting actress. Absolutely. Um, but you know, but I, I do think that. 
Alice and Janney. It's 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 interesting to imagine if it was someone like I don't know. I'm trying to think of somebody who would be. Well, they both deserve an Oscar. <clears throat> yes. I mean, you know, whether it's in for life. these, yeah, kind of. Sure. I mean, I feel like. Uh, you know, but because of everything they've done, and I'm including mm-hmm. television, and you know, right. both of them are so good. And like, as far as supporting actors go, like they make a lot of actors look amazing and elevate a lot of projects. Mm-hmm. You know, right. in supporting roles, who else is up for that? A supporting actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's it's basically just between the two of them. Um, but uh, who else is up for uh, Octavia Spencer for Shape of Water? Um. Yeah, it's, that's mean, a role she could do in her sleep. Yes, it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, I love like, her, but you know, I don't, in I, yeah. many ways, it's the third time she's played this role. And right. She's got an Oscar nomination mm-hmm. each time mm-hmm. and won the first. But uh, and then oh gosh, I can't remember who else is nominated. Do you uh, guys have an Oscar special? Uh, well, we did some commentary on the nominations, and then we'll probably give our picks before the... Well, uh, I guess you guys were really happy that I, Tanya, was not nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> Quite. I guess you can rub my nose in that one. <laughs> oh my I think, I, Tanya, I, the, the strongest part of the movie is Margot Robbie. And if we could have, if we could have reworked the way um, uh, the Alice and Jenny, uh, her mother character, and I even think the fact that Se- Sebastian Stan was so cute <laughs> made it the uh, made made that difficult. The editing is what made that part difficult. But but seeing her, you know, yell at the judges, watching her be, um, you know, triumphant over adversity is is definitely the the highlight of that movie and mm-hmm. her performance. Um, the editing of however they did the skate scenes, what is it like? It was part her and then part mm-hmm. this like face replacement right which i um, which i thought was really clunky you thought it was clunky oh my god the effects on like when they were when they were like you know pasting her face onto the model <laughs> they, they, onto cut, the, they cut it out of paper and taped it onto her it you know really what's funny is i didn't think it was clunky until we had our christmas uh brawl? blow up yeah, right, yeah. a brawl <laughs> right I keep renaming it uh when that happened um but but then it's funny that you say jason had brought up how clunky it was and i was like i don't agree and then um and then I saw some clips because they've been, you know, running ads and stuff. And I was like, oh, it is. It's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I was so wrapped up in it that it, I didn't. I just bought it. You know, it made but, me feel like visual effects have not come anywhere since Death Becomes Her. It made me feel I like. I think Death like, Becomes Her might even be better. I think it know? is. Honestly, yeah. it's more seamless than Death Becomes Her. Yeah. Because, like, it just doesn't match. Like, it was very ambitious, but they tried to do. Like, maybe uh, I need to catch that part again. Uh, but because I, I, I felt very caught up in those moments um, leading up to uh, her performances. And, and again, just like Margot Robbie's face and her attitude and the, the swagger in her move in this movie is so great. And it yeah. really, that's where I got lost. Um, and then anytime it would be sort of the interactions with her mother is where I kind of like, you know, disconnected from it a bit. Um, and, and see, I thought Sebastian Stan was brilliant as Galuli. I think that he was, for me, the best performance in the whole movie. I thought they all three were yeah. great. They all three, for me, worked. I really... I would say that my comedic uh, issue would be more with the big guy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. He, yeah, he was, was, he was, was too silly. It was too much of a cartoon character. I would have liked to, but I felt like the other three were given layers and, mm-hmm. you know, in the tone of the movie, they were given a depth that like, yes, he was very, very cute, but I also was grossed out by him right. sure. and upset by cute. him. And um, yeah, I guess so. and um, yeah. she was maybe 
prettier than you know Tanya yes. was, but I thought she played it believably not that way. Yeah, and definitely. I, the scene with the blush and all of that mm, was so incredible, you know, intense. And and obviously we talked about Allison working, but I felt like some of the um, peripheral characters, especially the big guy, the big guy was tough. That it was, was too much with his parents, and that that would be that would be one where I would yeah. go, okay, you guys are right. Like they they didn't bother to make him anything more than a cartoon and, character. And this is, I think, and it, um. What's her face? Nancy Kerrigan. Nancy Sorry, Kerrigan. Mm-hmm. No, I mean it's it's you know I think that it does. It's just so broad. The whole movie is so 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 broad, and I think that's frankly why it's found such a such a following. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think people are used to these sort of these movies that come out during Oscar season being kind of these humorless, right. you know, sort of like dour affairs. And I, Tanya has such like a, a vitality to it, that kind of entertainment value that I mentioned earlier. And, um, and, you know, and I watched it a lot over Christmas break because everybody wanted to watch the screener. I watched it probably six or seven times. And well, no every- wonder you don't like it. Well, that's, that's, that's <laughs> the that's funny you're thing. Kick a clockwork orange or something. Like, well, no, well, that's the funny I wouldn't like fucking, you know, Wizard of Oz if someone forced me to watch it seven times. <laughs> well, that, well, that's the funny thing, though, is actually every time I watched it, I liked it more. Um, oh, well. And you're like, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Got Just that in editing. Prove my point. And I came around on. Um, I Takes think, some longer than others. <laughs> no, I think the one thing that we probably can all agree on is Margot Robbie. And that's something that initially I didn't think. I thought when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is going to be such a polarizing performance. I, I, I kept saying, it's like a movie star performance, it's not an actor performance. It, it, it just it's all about her her charm and her star power and she plays all the moments too big she doesn't have enough nuance and she you know is acting with people who have greater nuance than her and she's just not nailing it and uh but then every time i've watched it since i've admired the performance more and more and more and especially because she I and mean, she not only she produced this movie this movie is hers like she never she when she first got the screenplay she thought it was fiction because she did not know it was real because she oh, was wow. she was four years old in Australia whenever this all happened she had no idea and then she fell in love with it and then she developed it herself and her, the achievement I would I can't take away from her and she is incredible and it certainly makes me much more interested in her as an actress because okay. so far who's she up against um, well it's gonna be it's supposed to be Francis's year Francis um, but then Sersha for Lady Bird. Uh-huh. Uh, those are sort of the main three. Sally oh, Hawkins for Shape of Water and Meryl Street for The Post. Uh-huh. Okay. But, we uh, all know where we land on those. We do. N- no Meryl. No Meryl. Uh, Team Francis. Yeah. I'm, Jason. Yeah. I mean, I will. The funny thing is. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. I think she's amazing. Her performance in Fargo is probably like in my top 10, you know, um, actor perform like just I love her but I did whatever we were this is another show but um, <laughs> I and the one thing about Margot Robbie you know I, I do think the Academy when they reward this sort of these beautiful women for going ugly or you know mm. Tom Hanks for playing Forrest Gump or for a while it was like are you willing to play a gay person right, right, we'll right. give you an award What'd you know in Philadelphia there is a little bit of that in this right like Margot Robbie is so beautiful but I will say this much like Charlize mm-hmm. um, and Monster I think she rose to the occasion uh, has proved her muster she is a total actor an mm-hmm. artist you mm-hmm. know who deserves if not an Oscar, she deserves a lot of credit and, you know, the chance to do it again and again. Yes. So um, thank you so much, Joshua. Thank you. I think we can all agree that you lost. Um, but thank you for. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's have the list. Let's have the listeners. Yes. Uh, we should we should, you know, put it to a vote or something. Everyone right? weigh that in. That sounds wonderful. We will um, put it to a vote. I'll create a poll. 
and I'll post it. <laughs> yes. Put on your Instagram happens. story. Lunchtime poll. As always, we welcome your descent. Ah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Where can we find you? Um, I'm on Instagram um, at Pete. No, at the Peaches Christ. Uh, in, uh, Twitter at Peaches Christ. Facebook uh, Peaches Christ. And uh, and then I have a Joshua page, a boring old Joshua Grinnell page on uh, Facebook as well. Um, we hope you join us again soon. If there's anything that you uh, find yourself disagreeing with us um, in the in the near future, please uh, give us a call and let us know. We're happy to have you on. And uh, thank you. And thank you for taking care of Jason while he cried on you. I'll be back often, <laughs> considering the opinions I've heard today. I'm gonna, um, <laughs> maybe extend an invite for an Oscar uh, episode. I as love well. the Oscars. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Bye bye. All right, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes if you're an Apple iPhone user uh, or Stitcher or SoundCloud app if you are not. Check us out on our website, thebinge.us. Um, and we're also on Facebook, The Binge Movie Podcast. Jason, Twitter. Excess Faggage. Me, at Fight Balance. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.